I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everyone, Michael Lejeune here and I will be your host today on Game Changers and we will be talking with Aaron Andrew, the Managing Director of Government Contract Lending over at Live Oak Bank. And many of you tuned in to our last episode with Aaron where we discussed financing and competitive strategies for growth and this time we're actually going to dive into one of those strategies where we talked about growth through acquisition. And so uh, before I go on to our our, uh, our current episode, if you're looking for the last episode, it is episode 53. So that'll help you look that up there in SoundCloud or iTunes, uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, but today we're going to go ahead and start talking about growth through acquisition, which is really how a small business can bypass performance. They can, you know, buy a customer base. There's just so many cool things you can do when you think about growth through acquisition. And so before we dive into the topic, I want to kind of flip it over to Erin, let her introduce herself and a little bit about what she does over there at Live Oak Bank. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael, and excited to be on today. Um, I really enjoyed the last podcast we did, and I think that a topic that comes up a lot um, that also I think came up as a result of that is acquisition and, and how to bypass performance. So looking forward to speaking about that. Um, I'm at Live Oak Bank, like you mentioned. I formerly was at SBA for about seven years. Um, about 15 years ago, um, was in the government contracting space, worked at Booz Allen, actually, in enterprise architecture, IT consulting. Um, so I've done a little bit uh, in the GovCon um, IT space, but then also in the public policy space as we, you know, help empower small businesses as they grow um, through government contracting. So excited to move into the financing space because we all know that some of the biggest challenges with growing a business, um, one of the biggest challenges is financing. So that was always something that was very important to me. And I think looking at financing from a you know, a bunch of different perspectives is also important and understanding all the tools in the toolbox. And one of those tools that I always felt like when we talked to folks was overlooked was acquisition. And I think the biggest challenge that most folks make, um, small business owners, whether they're in the GovCon space or not, is understanding and planning out the exit strategy um, when they leave the business. You're, you know, folks are so busy working day in and day out on the business. So, being in a position where we can really help small business owners understand and strategically think about their exit strategy um, right when they get into the space and then also support those that are exiting the business um, market. It's, it's been a very exciting and a great continuation um, from my work at SBA. So 
Thank you again for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And I think our listeners get a whole lot out of these episodes. And, you know, one of the things that I loved hearing about last time when we were talking was you're the first bank that's ever told me about a product or service, however you want to put it from a banking perspective, uh, where you help finance these contracts where people need to hire staff, but don't necessarily have the money until they get their first, you know, payment on a contract or whatever. And I had never heard that there were actually products through the bank that could do that. And so that's something very interesting. It, it, again, it, if you didn't hear last the last episode where Aaron was on, she talked extensively about that in episode 53. And I, I just, I thought that was very interesting. Again, you don't hear a lot about that. Um, you hear a lot about factoring, uh, which has become kind of a four letter word to, to some business owners. And you hear all these other things about taking out loans and different things. But um, to hear, you know, that a bank is looking out for you and actually understands the government the way you do, you know, you've, you've got a history. It, it's really refreshing to hear that kind of stuff. And so I, I, I hope that people that are listening today understand that you're a trusted resource of, of us and they can come to you for, you know, their needs and this kind of thing. So no, absolutely. So. And I always, I feel very strongly that your bankers should know your business. Your bankers should know the FAR if you're in the government contracting space, they should understand the types of set asides that you have. They should understand, you know, what your size max is, um, and how to help you and work with you to strategize growth, exit, entering, whatever it may be. And I think to your point, Michael, on the on the factoring and alternative lending space, um, there should be bank loans available to small businesses in the GovCon space who are trying to mobilize because that's what folks are geared for. They're geared for growth, especially if they have a small business set aside. And the fact of the matter is a typical line of credit, oftentimes, if they're starting out, is not, you know, designed to, to, to support that ideal growth. And so I always say we like to find winners, the folks that we know and that are going to win a lot of contracts. And their biggest challenge is sometimes they don't go after the contracts because they don't have the financing to support that growth mm -hmm. in a way that is cost um, effective. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the options in the marketplace are, you know, really high interest rates and just not sustainable in the long run. So right. having a bank that can offer all the tools in one place, I think is important. Right. And, and I, and I know this is going to sound a little bit like a commercial for Live Oak Bank to a, to a, a few <laughs> folks for, for a minute here, but I, but I want people to bear with me for a minute as, as we talk about this, you know, I, I've been a business owner for many, many years and when I first got into business, I banked at a U.S. bank and nothing wrong with U.S. bank, but it, it's one of the big names that's out there. And, you know, it, it's like every banking relationship where they want to give you money when you don't need it. But when you need it, they don't want to give you money. And most of that is just the understanding or how they do business or the policies and procedures. And even with them, you know, we had an SBA loan. They understood an SBA loan. They didn't understand government contracting. There was zero clue. You know, I always tell people it's kind of like going to, you know, a, a, a general doctor, you know, your general practitioner when you're trying to get brain surgery. Like they're they're probably great doctors, but they don't understand brain surgery. And so being when you're doing government contracting, you need to specialize with, you know, attorneys that are focused in this, not the person that does your will and stuff like that. Bankers who specialize, you know, and, and so I, I always want to stress that because I think sometimes when people are hearing an episode like this, 
they try to apply it through the filter of their banker that they already have, like their U.S. bank person That's or Bank of America. Point. Yes, yes. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to take everything Aaron's saying and then I'm going to go sit down and I'm going to spew all this wisdom at my Bank of America person whose eyes are just going to gloss over and they're going to go, yeah, we can try to do that and fumble their way through it. And again, it, it's nothing wrong with Bank of America or whatever big bank you're using. It's just the odds are they don't specialize in it. And so use them for your banking, but not for your government contracting work. And I, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think, Oh, go ahead. Well, I would say the, the only other thing I would add to that is you were talking about the line of credit. And I think that's where those local banks go line of credit. Ha That's what we do. We give them a yeah. line of credit. And I think that is exactly where, a lot of small business people get into trouble. They get the line of credit that's not attached to anything, right? And so they're like, oh, this is just like free money that I can use anytime we need it. Instead of, I assume, and this is a huge assumption on my part, tell me if I'm wrong. I assume if you are trying to finance a... Um, uh, an actual order from the government. It's very focused on that. You're not going to say, Oh, well, here's just, here's a million dollars. You can just kind of play with for the rest of your life. It's like, it's focused on, Hey, you need to hire six people. This is what it's for, yeah. how it works. And once you've done it, it's gone. Right. I, I mean, does it work similar to that? Like it's not just a revolving line of, you know, what I call trouble for, <laughs> the business of yeah and and i would say this like i think you hit it spot on michael like people have their banker and that is important and they have their deposits at their bank and generally the bank is making the money off of the deposits that are run through the bank for that small business the difference with live oak bank is we're we're very different keep your banking at your normal bank what we can do is finance the growth that you need because generally that line of credit that you have will go up to a certain point but once you start to exceed that point, because you're winning new contracts very quickly, you might be an SDVOSB, an 8A company, a woman-owned, you've got set-aside contracts, and you're doubling your revenues within that year, your line of credit, that monthly AR that is tied to that line of credit, is not going to support a new contract win. So there's usually that gap, mm -hmm. whether it's purchase order financing, mobilization financing on service contracts, and you need to find a good you know, um, tool to kind of support that need. And I think the other thing that's important to think about, um, generally you don't always get all the, the, the products that you need in one place. And so you want a holistic approach to your banking needs. Um, you obviously will have your deposits, but from the financing perspective, if you need, if you're doing you know, equipment or purchasing, you know, orders for the government, you need purchase order financing. You might have a services component to a contract you have. You might need that mobilization financing. And then you might want to buy a business to get closer to the size max within your NAICS code. And you might need an SBA term loan for that. So being able to understand how all the products fit together um, is different. And I think the credit team at any bank, there's a credit box. And so generally you speak to the loan officer, there's the underwriter, and then there's the credit team. Most folks don't speak to the underwriter or the credit team ever. They talk to the loan officer. So it goes into a big, you know, a request goes into a big black box for, um, say, you know, 30 days, 60 days, sometimes six months from what I've heard. And there's no feedback. And the important thing, and I think something that we do that's very important, is we'll get on the phone with our underwriter and our credit officer 
and the loan officer at the, at the get-go. So if there are questions, we straighten those out at the beginning. And our credit box, because of the industry expertise, to your point, um, is tailored to the industry that we're dealing with. So the credit box for government contracting is a little different than the credit box for you know, veterinarians or um, you know, bakeries or whatever it may be. And that is also a differentiating factor. So I think to your point, kudos, you really do need to talk to specialists in the industry or in regardless if it's your banker, your lawyer, your accountant, folks that know that space will save you a lot of time and money in the long run. Yeah. It's it's just such a different animal. And I, I like the, the words you use there. It's, it's tools for mobilization. And, uh, you know, having all the tools for the mobilization is a really, really good point there. So so with that, let's let's dive in, which I think that was all really great information for people. So, yeah, it may have sounded slightly like a commercial, but, <laughs> but it was really good information for people to understand the process and to understand. You know, I think a lot of people sort of cringe and go, oh, no, I may have to break up with my banker. No, you don't have to break up with your banker. You can, They all play a really important part in your in your growth strategy so you know let's kind of dive in and, and talk about you know this particular you know growth through acquisition strategy and you know i i think a lot of people get into business they start you know kind of growing and doing their thing and sometimes you know they stumble and they they don't really think of hey well maybe if i buy another business you know or they see examples in the market you know where kmart's you know going down so they go and buy sears and that didn't work out well right like so they they're not sure exactly how to approach that if they're not doing well but you know there's there's options to leapfrog where you are and to really take your business to another level by acquiring another company and i i think most people for them, the thing is, how do I find a business to buy? Like, how do I find a match uh-huh. made in heaven, if you will, for me to go and acquire that? So what advice do you have right out of the gate on that one? Like, how do you even find a business to kind of uh, acquire? Yeah, no, great question. So in terms of, I mean, there are a lot of different avenues. And I, I'll, I'll talk about how to find a business and then how to get your office in, in, in order before you go and, and buy a business, because I think that's pretty important as well. But how to find a business. So there are brokers out there, M&A advisors that you can go to, which some people, like a lot of folks, like that level of service. Um, it does come at a cost, but there is service in terms of supporting the LOI and other things. Some people like to do, do, do the due diligence on their own, do the research on their own. They leverage things like FPDS, um, you know, schedules that are public. Um, and then we work with a lot of folks. We pre-qualify potential buyers. So we'll do a, a short pre-qualification process that takes about a week. And then we leverage data. We have our own data product actually internally that we can leverage and help find target lists for folks as well. So we can identify, you know, are there businesses that you might be interested in? Are there NAICS codes? Are there agencies? And as a part of the process, um, just to support them in finding that match, we can um, help provide that data to them so they can kind of do that as a part of the process. So I think there are kind of three avenues, like I mentioned, you know, obviously leveraging the M&A advisor um, using your own, you know, networks data. Maybe it's someone that, you know, you've teamed with in the past or were part of a mentor protege um, 
opportunity. It just depends. But those relationships you can leverage or you can leverage the public data um, and you can do it on your own. Or we can work with you at the bank and leverage our resources, obviously, to help you kind of find those particular targets. That's pretty cool. I've I've never heard of a bank that could do that before. You know, like if, if you had a relationship with customers where you knew, you know, Steve or Sally are trying to sell their business and I happen to know them because they work with me. Like that's the extent of that sort of relationship. So to, to know that you uh, can actually go into a system and start to look and help them create a list, I think is really good. Cause I, I assume, again, I make some assumptions here based on what you said. I assume that when you're going through there, you've done enough due diligence on their company to say, okay, today, if we were to go out and buy a company based on where your company is, you could afford a company that's doing a million in revenue or two million in yeah. revenue or ten million. So, like you know, and you can say, where, where do you what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do exactly? And, and and be able to put all that into the filter to spit out that day. It's not just oh hey oh we just spit out a list and on the and on the list there are ten companies that are doing two hundred million dollars and yeah you can't afford that like that's not going to happen. No, and I think we even so we work with a lot of M and A advisors too who come to us and we do a lot of due diligence because obviously if the bank's putting money out to support an acquisition we have to do due diligence we have to understand what happens to the contracts do they innovate are they is this combination of buyer and seller gonna you know jump them past their max size standards so all of a sudden they're in the you know full and open market right when the transaction happens. Um, ease their um, question to clearances, you know, are there other things? So we do a lot of due diligence on our end. And I think when we support, you know, folks who are coming in and work with us to get pre-qualified on the buy side, I sit down with every single, you know, potential buyer that comes in. And once they've made it through our pre-qualification process, like we've done the credit check, we know they have some cash to put in, um, you know, we've checked the box on a few things. We'll sit down and look at their existing business or where they want to be if they don't have, you know, much of an existing business. And we'll say, like, look at the NAICS codes you're currently in. You know, you might want to diversify or most of your contracts are 8A. If you're going to graduate in three or four years, you need to diversify to the small business set aside. So let's discuss a strategy and maybe you should be looking at targets, you know, that are non-8A um, you know, targets, just small business set aside. So we talk through and strategize. And obviously, it's just to support them um, in making the best decision. Because at the end of the day, when a match comes to us, we have to do due diligence and we want it to work. So where we can help on the front end, we see it as a value add, not only to the buyer and to the seller, because the seller, if someone's exiting, we can take a look and, you know, determine how much debt we could support but they know that they have a buyer that's been pre-qualified. So even before getting the LOI, they know that this is that the chances of this deal going through are, are a little higher. Hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I, I'm, a li- I'm rarely speechless, but I'm a little speechless on <laughs> it to to, uh, to some degree on. I didn't know you did this. You know, just like last time, I didn't know the way you you, know, you finance contracts and do those kind of things. I didn't know a bank. Period was out there doing this type of work. And so I, I think this is an incredible asset to anybody listening today that's a government contractor. You know, if, if you're thinking about growth through acquisition, obviously you need to speak to Aaron 
um, all her contact information's you know on the podcast page there for you. But you know, it's one of those things where so much education in just the few things that you were telling me about about the research and due diligence that you're doing on your end, about the pre-qualifying, about you know just making sure. Uh, you, you talked about uh, where you want to be and, you know, do you need to be in 8A or this or that? All those things you threw out, just it just, just screams education for the people listening to this thinking, hey, you know, if this is something I'm going to do, these are, these are questions I need to be asking myself. You know, I need to be thinking about these things. And so, you know, one of the questions, you know, that was on my mind here is, you know, if I'm going to be buying or exiting the business, what are some of these questions that I should keep in mind? You know, what, what, what are things that I yeah. don't know? Well, and I would say, I think it's important both for buyer and seller. Cause I've heard from a lot of folks who didn't know a, they could sell to another small business, you know, in their minds, it's, I need to sell to a large business or I just need to wait the contracts out. So there is an exit strategy for small businesses in this space, which I think is important for folks to realize. And then sometimes it's, they might not realize that they're, you know, that they're ready to sell, but understanding the price in which you would want to sell your business for, and then how do you get there? Or are you already there? Um, Because if you have a business that's right at the, you know, the top of your size standard, and you want to sell it, it's going to be very difficult with any, for any other person that has a business with revenues that are, you know, in a couple million or 5 million to even buy your business, because you're going to quickly, you know, potentially with a three-year trailing average, you're going to eventually get over that size standard. So I think it's very critical to educate yourself and understand what timing is key. Um, sometimes what seems like the best time to sell um, might not be. It might be better to sell sooner rather than later, depending on kind of where you are. It's usually better right when you win new contracts. Um, so really understanding those options um, I think are, is is really critical just from a seller perspective and then from a buyer perspective. And I know we mentioned this, you know, you spend a lot on business development, which is so critical. Um, winning organically is important. And regardless if you buy or not in the long run, you've got to, you know, you're going to want to and have to prove that you can win business. But when you're trying to get in and you need past performance, sometimes acquiring is the fastest way to get that past performance. Um, and I think it's important to do this with partners that you trust because um, a transition with anything, right, is never easy. But it, it definitely can be if you're working with folks who've been there and done that um, and know, you know, lessons learned, have done numerous transactions, whether it's your banker, your, your attorney, you know, your, your um, M&A advisor, your accountant. And so I think it is important to find trusted partners to work with you through the process because within GovCon, as we all know on this, you know, on the, on this um, call is that, you know, there are a lot of nuances, right? Even just with the day-to-day activity. So when you bring in a transaction, like an M&A transaction, there are a lot of things that you want to think about and understand implications um, prior to to jumping in and, and moving forward on something. And, and I would assume uh, this is going to be not off topic here, but kind of out of, out of the questioning I think we were going to go down. I would assume that you have a formula for calculating how much a business is worth. Yep. yep. So generally, um, do you want me to dive into it? I, I would love you to because I, w- <laughs> I would think that's probably out of all the questions we can answer today – 
Other yep. than which we're going to talk about how to finance the acquisition. I would assume the one thing everybody's on the edge of their seat listening to right now is how much is my business worth? How can I tell? Because I, I will tell you every time I talk to a business owner, literally every single time they overvalue their business like yeah. drastically because yeah. I've, I've had people come to me and say, Oh, well, we're doing 10 million in revenue. And I was like, well, how much debt do you have? And how much this and how much that? And I was, and uh, they'll say, well, how much do you think the business is worth? And I'll say, absolutely nothing. Yeah. And they're like, uh, what? We're doing 10 million revenue. I'm like, yeah, but you got 25 million in debt. <laughs> You're, you've been yeah. shrinking the last four years, you know, you know, and you know, just start listing things out. I'm like, you would be lucky for someone to assume your debt so you could walk away. You know, yes. you know, that's just the way it is. And so I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. We'll get the professionals formula here. And, and I know there's variables to this. There's probably always going to be variables. But in general, uh, take it away there. How much is a business? Yeah. Worth? And I and I'll give the caveat. So we don't you know, we're not an M&A, you know, uh, advisor, but we do you know, we can look at how much debt can support a purchase price. So generally what we see is three to five times EBITDA is what the market go going rate is um, and the small business set aside market. So EBITDA earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. Um, so generally your margins for all intents and purposes, two to three times that. So Obviously, if you're in a NAICS code, maybe a lower margin NAICS code, sometimes there's 15 million max or the 7 million max, 7.5 million max, maybe 541, 611, whatever, and you might see around 10% or less in terms of margins, you would take what your margin is three to five times that. Um, for higher margin business, sometimes the higher margin business can occur in the larger NAICS code, you know, larger NAICS code max. Not always, but sometimes we see that. Um, you know, three to five times that. So your purchase price would be higher. So sometimes as a strategy, we talk to folks about, you know, if you want to sell at a certain price and you're in lower NAICS code max, like work, why don't you look at transitioning to higher NAICS code max work or buying and getting into that space? So then your margins will be a little higher. Um, you'll have more, um, space to get, you know, for someone to buy you and then grow the business to hit that max. Um, so three, and so, and, and I would say on the upper end, that five, sometimes even six times we see more in cleared work, you know, things like cybersecurity, um, highly skilled work. And then on the lower side, sometimes it's specific set asides, um, you know, more, a little bit more on the help desk side. It just depends. And like I said, it really depends on the finances. So what we can do is if someone's interested in exiting, we can take a quick look at what they have in FPDS. Um, we're also happy to take a look at you know, the finances and we can at least scrub to a certain extent what we can see and look at what, you know, evaluation and valuation defined as what we think the debt would that to service that would look like so roughly what a price would be based on the debt that would be needed um, to service it and obviously we have pre-qualified buyers so we're happy to make matches um, or introductions excuse me where it's appropriate we also work with a lot of sell-side advisors um, and buy-side advisors like I said um, who will come to us and you know we can look at the contracts and do a lot of due diligence just to be a second set of eyes um, and so I think from our perspective it very, uh, you are absolutely right. Um, folks think that 
they're going to exit at a really high multiple um, when, in fact, they need to be realistic and it's all in the contracts. And so from the bank's perspective, if you're having a buyer that's buying you and you have a lot of debt in the books and you don't have high margins, how is that buyer going to be able to pay off the mm-hmm. debt that they're taking on to buy your business? And so we generally look for a debt service ratio of about 1 to 1.25. And that really depends on the balance sheet of the seller. So the seller has to have a strong balance sheet with good contracts that have years out. And, you know, sometimes they might have contracts that only have a year or two of life left. And unfortunately, the value of that company would go down significantly unless they had new work. They had just won. Um, or that would be, you know, coming up within the next few weeks that they were, you know, pretty sure they were going to win. Um, and even then they have to win it. We have, we look at the facts, we look at the data, we look at the contracts they have. Um, and we put more value obviously on prime contracts versus subcontracts because we know that there's the relationship with the government or with the government. Um, and they're less likely to not, you know, they're, they're less likely to be discontinued. I'll put it that way. So, Mm -hmm. Um, we generally, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, um, we use the expertise. We have a lot of former contracting officers, folks who've been government contractors. Um, Jackie Robinson Burnett actually runs our, um, uh, government contracting, um, expert team here at the bank. Um, she used to run government contracting, um, at SBA and was formerly, um, head of the small business office at DOD department of the army and was a contracting officer, um, long before that. So we, we, we have contracting officers, former contracting officers that take a very serious look at the contracts themselves, which I think is important for the buyer and seller because time is of the essence with these transactions. You pay for time. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure you're doing this as efficiently as possible um, with the right information and right data. Yeah, no, no, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, what I would tell somebody is if you're looking at your business and one of the, the questions you brought up is, you know, if you have a lot of debt, how is, uh, you know, the company who's acquiring you going to be able to pay that off over time? And one of the things I've always pointed out to people is the only way that transaction works is if there's uh, basically a, a double up on the staff where when they acquire your business, they're going to be able to shed a good chunk of probably leadership and overhead because yes. they've already um, they already have that. You know, they already have a finance team. They already have a legal team. They already have all these 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 core pieces. You're going to get absorbed into the mothership, uh, and and they're going to be able to shed you know thirty five forty percent of their their overhead expenses because again they won't even need your office or this or that or whatever it is. That's the only way. So you so the match has to be that much more perfect. For that to work, uh, otherwise, it's exactly the, the scenario you're talking about. If you take it on, you know, dollar for dollar, the expenses it has today, the odds are they're never going to be able to pay for that, and it's not going to make sense. They'll figure that out in the due diligence and, and kind of walk and away. And I, yeah, and I would say we don't want to get into ad back palooza. I am a fan of a yeah. lot of paloozas, but ad back palooza from a bank's perspective can be, you know, frustrating. And there are legitimate, absolutely legitimate addbacks to your point. Um, but you want to make sure that it's a strong business and you're not just depending on those addbacks because right. sometimes it could be a critical person that's helping to, you know, win the business. Like they are doing a lot in the business development and you need to continue that organic growth mm-hmm. at long, you know, after 
the transaction happens. So it's important to be realistic and have honest conversations with both buyer and seller to really understand what do the ad backs look like? And is this really going to be realistic post-transaction? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I, I, if it's okay, I want to kind of put you on the spot here while we're still on this topic. Because I, I know there's a lot of people, and I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking anybody's math skills here, but there's a lot of people still going, I wonder what it's worth. I heard some numbers bouncing around. And so I, if it's cool, we're going to go ahead and do two examples. So let's... And, and you can, you don't have, I don't have to nail you down exactly on what this are, but let's say I have a construction company. I'm doing 5 million a year in construction. My profit at the end of the year is $500,000. Ballpark, what could I sell this business for? So I would say, you know, 1.5 million roughly. And this is like, there are a lot of caveats here, right? Like if you're revenues, I mean, obviously we're looking at EBITDA. So let's just for all intents and purposes, say EBITDA is 500,000. So on the low end, right, you're going to take the 500,000, right? Mm-hmm. You following me? Yep, I just am. Just times three, if that's what your EBITDA is, and you're looking at 1.5, you know, 1.5 million, right? Yep. And then on the high end, if you're taking 500,000, or excuse me, yeah, 500,000, and you're looking at, let's say, five times EBITDA, you're looking at 2.5 million. So it, it, and that, like, obviously, I'm not taking into account ad backs and other things, but that's overly simplifying it. Um, we see some folks who have revenues that are, you know, very, very high, but it's very low margin work. So sometimes they're shocked that the price, the purchase price is so low. And and that's why I think it's important when you're looking at selling, having new contracts that you've recently just won, having, you know, higher margin work, setting yourself up um, to sell is important and understanding the best price and, and the right. timing of that price. And then on the buy side, I think it's if you have a business already, making sure that's clean. I mean, if you have a lot of financial issues with your current company, you know, from a bank's perspective, how are you going to run the company you're acquiring? Yeah. Um, are you able to bring money to the table, some money? And and I want to quickly run through that. I know we're running out of time, but um, I do think you need to have, you know, cash that you can either take from your existing business from profits or your own personal cash that you want to plug into a deal. Um and we leverage the SBA loan, but we also leverage conventional financing. And there are pluses about pluses and minuses about both. The SBA loan is great because it's not quite as much cash down, and the terms are longer. It's up to ten year terms on a convention, and it's about ten percent, five to ten percent cash down on a conventional note. You're looking at five to six year terms, sometimes seven years, and it's twenty five percent cash down. So. You know, there are different restrictions with each of them, um, and it's important to understand the different tools. And that's something that I think um, we're well suited to do is sit down and say, here are the options between using one or the other. Um, Do you even qualify on the SBA side or should you just go conventional? Um, And and does that make sense? Um, And sitting down and kind of looking at the options of what makes sense. And then also, are there tools that you might need? other, you know, finance mechanisms that you might need um, to help support the transaction. So I think understanding all of it in one place is, is very helpful. Yeah, it's, it, 
definitely key. And I, I think, thank you for bearing with me there. I know I didn't talk to you before about that and it just came up as we were thinking uh, about, Hey, let's, let's do a live example for folks who may not be following the conversation. You know, there's some, some folks that aren't necessarily as savvy that are listening to it. And it, it's just one of those things. It's a different box for some people. Yeah. So I want to try to simplify that. No, and, absolutely. And, and I, I guess I would say instead of doing another example, what, what I would say is, to, to kind of go off your point, just to make sure I'm reiterating this properly, the lower margin you are, the lower that factor is going to be. So you're going to be in that three range. If you're really high margin, it's probably going to help you boost that to, you know, instead of it being three to five, it's going to might probably be closer to five. You know, if you, it, you use the word well, clean a lot, right? So yeah. le- less debt, great margins, growth strategies you're in year one of a five-year contract versus year four (laughs) yeah exactly i think changes yeah even beyond the margins the margins is like the ebitda what your ebitda is is going to really determine um that's going to be what you start with so whether that's going to be the so five hundred thousand in the example you provided right that's what you're going to be multiplying and then the things that are going to come into that um that uh problem are you know to your point, the type of work, agencies that you're in, life on the contracts, um, and in a in a bunch of other factors, vehicles like best in class vehicles, right? Fix mm-hmm. very very popular right now. Um, probably will see a, a little bit of a higher um, uh, um, higher rate than you know some of those other. It just but it just depends. Like we have to look at the numbers, we cash flow it, we figure out how much. Um, Debt can be serviced based on the transaction between the two companies. Um, we look at, you know, the the chances of those contracts continuing, those types of things. So that we're as smart as possible for the buyer and the seller in the transaction to ensure that the business continues. There's a good transition. Um, the employees, um, you know, see a seamless transition as well. Um, and that financially the company is stable um, post-transaction, which um, is incredibly important to us. And we do, we have not had any defaults at all in the GovCon space. And that is something that we continue to push, um, at the bank. Um, it's very important for us to do good deals, strong deals that, um, are make sense for the small business because those small businesses are servicing the American people. And the best thing that we can do is make sure you have good, strong, small businesses doing the work that this country needs. Yeah. And I always go back to, there's there's the warfighter piece, which I was a warfighter, so I was I'm a veteran. I've been on that side of it. Uh, and then, thank you for your service and you. happy belated veterans. Yeah, Day. there you go. Thank you. Well, today I, no, it was yesterday was the, the official observation. But you know, there's that piece of it, and then there's the I don't want to call them the government government warfighter because that's not the an accurate description. But then there's all the government people. And there's there's so many people that this is supporting. And so and it's very, very important work that these clients are doing. So, you know, making sure they're all winners is a big deal. And so kind of as we start to wrap up here, I want to incorporate because I think this is a really important question, but I want to incorporate it kind of into your final thoughts. So once you acquire a business, how do you continue to grow and diversify that business because I, I think a lot of people can uh-huh. can kind of pull the trigger on hey let's go do it hey let's dive in but how do I continue the growth 
Yeah, no, good question. And I, and I actually, there are a lot of folks who just the diving in is a big, de- I mean, they, you mm-hmm. know, they can't even get to the point of considering the acquisition. Um, so I think it's important to educate and understand it's not for everyone, but it is important yeah. for everyone to be educated on it as an option. But how you continue to grow, great question. And so when we at the bank look at the debt service coverage ratio for that transaction, we don't necessarily take into account that that individual winning a lot of additional work. But we all know if you have past performance in a NAICS code or at an agency, you're inevitably going to have the opportunity to win more work than you would otherwise, right? right. So I think leveraging, so understanding the um, business development shop at the company, the, the small business that you're acquiring is important. Is it working? Are there things they could be doing differently? Can the relationships that you're bringing to the table whether it be at new agencies they're not in, can that help you win new work? Um, are there connections? And that's something we're, you know, Jackie and her team, we, do, we work on at the bank a lot, is just helping folks find um, the right mentor protege, making connections that make sense for them as they grow. Um, I think um, understanding, you know, the networks that are out there and, you know, important introductions that will help that grow. And I think for us at the bank, we do that. We do quarterly business reviews with every single one of our borrowers. So if you go through an M&A transaction or if you even just have a line of credit or you do a mobilization loan, we sit down on a quarterly basis and we identify opportunities where we can make an introduction to another one of the borrowers in our portfolio because they, you know, you could team on a particular opportunity together. Um, or they might be an amazing mentor for you. They went through similar things in terms of growth, but five or 10 years earlier. So I think it's, it's, you know, making that transaction, but then having a plan afterwards and having a partner that will help you implement that plan in terms of understanding key hires, um, understanding how to get into certain agencies, finding partners that make sense, leveraging things like the, you know, the all small mentor protege program or the DOD mentor protege program and understanding what makes the most sense for your company. So I think you have to continue with organic growth after a transaction um, and you need to, you know, really rely on expertise um, in, in, in terms of doing that, but but really hone in on the things that you're going to bring to the new transaction as well. Yeah, no, I think that's all really important. And, and I think it's just important to have somebody on the outside looking in that's seen a lot of these transactions and can give you just, I call it, it's not just advice because everybody has advice, but it's the, the true advice of this is, if you were to look into a crystal ball, this is what's going to happen to your business. And I can, and you can sort of forecast that. I, I see companies all the time and they'll say, oh, well, how could you possibly know? And I'm like, because I've seen thousands of yeah. companies. That's why. I can tell you who's going to fail and who's not. I can tell you where you're going to struggle. Uh, I can tell you all these things just based on 20 minutes of conversation usually. And then start you, as you go longer in the conversation, you start to verify a lot of those, the thought process and different things about it. Um, because, a, again, it's just it's experience seeing these types of things. So I, I said that that was my last question and final thoughts, but I actually have one more. Oh, um, yeah. To, to make sure we've, we've, we've hit on this uh, well enough. I I think the scariest part of this, because for me, I'm the guy that breaks the rules to get the deal done fast because I'm like, I I have no problem jumping off a cliff into an acquisition. I'm like, (laughs) let's go and do it. In fact, I... You're an entrepreneur, that's why, right? (laughs) I I am, right? In fact, uh, when I bought my first franchise, uh, 
I bought it so fast they didn't know how to process me. They like it made their <laughs> head spin. Uh, the people that were selling me the franchise, and in fact, we found out later that I actually broke the law. I didn't know it at the time because there's supposed to be a waiting period. <laughs> buying your franchise so they literally i went through all the franchise training and they're like we can't take your check until you're done with franchise training because that's how fast oh wow it was so funny i'm like oh i could just walk away but anyway um i think for a lot of people once they do jump in and start to go through this the the fear then starts to come up of how do i finance this and what are stumbling blocks to the finance process? And, and I don't think we necessarily talked about, you know, some possible stumbling blocks. Uh, and there's other people that I think would look at it and say, well, my company's only $300,000. Um, how in the world do you expect me to buy this million dollar or $2 million company? How is that even possible for me to do that? And so I, I'm just... I just want to give you final thoughts on that, on the acquisition price itself, on the financing piece for people who are thinking, well, if I'm going to buy another business, I definitely have to buy smaller or, you know, this or that. And and where's the money even going to come from? Because I know that money is the biggest fear for a lot of people when it comes to this. So, so why don't I'd love for you to address that as your final thoughts? No, absolutely. So a couple of things. Um, I think, from a financing perspective, I want to go over that. But first, you know, you have to have experience in the GovCon space or managing a PL or something if you're going to buy a GovCon business. Um, you can't just buy a business and, you know, kind of move in quickly. We want to see that you've done something, you have an understanding of the industry. So there is due diligence, not only on the contracts, but, you know, we're we're doing due diligence similar to investors do when they, you know, finance a company to make sure that we have confidence that this is going to continue and you're able to, you know, really take this um, company to the next level. So that is important. Um, I think on the on the financing side, a lot of folks wonder, well, where do I get the financing? Like I mentioned earlier, you do want to bring some money to the transaction. So you know, you should have a couple hundred thousand from your company or from, you know, your personal um, finances that you want to bring in. So you're you're demonstrating skin in the game that you're saying, I am putting this money down. Um, this is something that's important to me. Um, and then I think from, um, you know, that financing, depending on if you use conventional um, financing, SBA loans, whatever it may be, or you are giving up part of your company, um, you want to leverage the debt, but you also want to give up a portion of your company to a partner who might be helping you put money down. That's always a possibility. Um, but I think the important thing, you know, there are transaction costs as well. So we, you know, we hear a lot of folks that I just want to buy a vehicle. And that's great. But when you when you're looking at you're taking on debt, you need to service that debt, the buyer needs to be able to pay off the debt. And if there is a vehicle with no contracts on it, you know, it's possible if if they're willing to put a lot of cash into a transaction, but it's it's difficult because you're not actually going to be servicing the debt unless they're contracts that have been won, you know, and we're guaranteed to see contracts on that particular vehicle. So I always tell folks, think, be open to what you look for. Sometimes you might, you know, you might actually be, it might be more to your advantage, you know, to your, um, might be more to your advantage to look at a company that's a little larger because you're going to be getting back office support that you currently don't have with your company now. Um, you're going to be getting additional revenue and profits that you can reinvest in that company. So, you know, it's it's kind of understanding and educating yourself on what makes sense. 
talking through the financing and what you're getting out of the transaction and what you want from the transaction. And then also understanding the transaction costs. Um, I hear a lot of folks say, I want to do a lot of small deals, but each deal, you know, their attorney fees, their M&A, if you work with an M&A advisor, M&A advisor fees, accounting fees. So you just want to keep, you know, take into account what those transaction costs are. And sometimes it might be better to do one, you know, larger uh, transaction versus like three or four small ones at the beginning. It, it, it just depends. Like it's hard to, it's hard for me to say without seeing a, a, a you know, a particular deal, but that's, those are things that we talk through um, with folks that we work with in the space. I, I think that's helpful for people to hear. I mean, again, it, it, it's, there's so many times you get into something new and you don't even know what questions to ask. And I think, as you were going through that, I was thinking, oh, here are questions I should be asking, especially if if I come into a scenario where there's a business I think I want to buy, because uh, I do hear that. I, I, there's people that call us probably about twice a month. Somebody uh-huh. will say, hey, I'm thinking of buying this business. Could you help me with some due diligence? And nine times out of 10, they all fall apart, you know, literally in the front end of the due diligence, right? Um, yes. But... You know, they always do that and they don't even know what questions to ask. They just somebody has introduced them to a company. Uh, It sounds good on the surface. They're just not sure where to go. And they come to us or, you know, or someone like yourself for expertise. And and they start they start figuring out all the questions. So I think that that's a huge part there is just what we've shared today will help people understand more questions they need to ask and help them be more prepared with it. So and. I would say one other things. We also, um, we hold buy, build, sell events, um, you know, around the country at different points throughout the year to, to your very point where folks can ask whether they're looking to buy or sell. They can ask questions of a couple of different attorneys or a couple of different M&A advisors because everyone's opinion, you know, they're, they're varying opinions within the marketplace too, which is important because you want to find the best, um, you know, the best match for you. And you want to understand those different perspectives. And I think if you talk to folks who've gone through um, an M&A transaction, it can be very isolating. And it usually happens in the silo of the the, the experts that you work with, right? Um, and so we think it's, you know, it's important to be able to ask questions of other f- businesses that have gone through it, um, of, you know, experts and advisors in the space too. So we are, you know, we have a series of these buy, build, sell events where we, you know, it's a very, it's an opportunity for folks to be very candid um, and ask those questions and talk to folks and get different opinions on, you know, different transactions or opportunities. So I just wanted to point that out because to your point, it's important. It's important to educate yourself. And unfortunately, I think, you know, there hasn't been as much by way of education in this space as there could be. So that's something we're really trying to do, um, you know, as a bank. Um, but just, you know, the more educated our borrowers are, um, the better off they're going to do with that transaction, the better off they're going to do is growing the business in the future. Absolutely. You know, we, that's something we're always telling people. And, and somebody always brings up, well, education is so expensive. And the comeback is always, well, ignorance is way more expensive. You know, yeah. it, <laughs> it, you know, it's one of those things where education looks expensive until you look at what, you know, doing it yourself for many years cost because, you know, my, here's my little soapbox for the day. You know, the average business fails within three to five years. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, that's the max lifespan of a company 
for the most part, is three to five years. You know, 80 to 90% of companies are all gone in that three to five year window. Now, here's the interesting fact. It takes, on average, someone three to five years to learn how to do government contracting. So, <laughs> you know, it takes yeah. you that long to learn government contracting. And most companies are out of business before that time anyway. And so you put the two together, it's not a good combination. So our, our philosophy has always been, how can we accelerate your education and your growth so that instead of taking three to five years, you can learn everything you need to learn in six to 12 months? Because again, Absolutely. six to 12 months is a lot faster than even three years. It's so yep. much faster and, it, and it'll change the odds of you succeeding or failing drastically and so it's again it's one of those things where i see people and they say well i'm just going to take three years to learn this like you're going to take two maybe two and a half years too long that's an expensive amount of time yeah it's very expensive you know and uh you know people just don't realize how you know i call it the debt snowball in the opposite direction where it's like in the cartoons where they start with this little bitty softball and they start pushing it down the hill. And next thing you know, it's this monster snowball of debt because people don't realize even though your monthly expenses may be $5,000 today, if you're not bringing in revenue by the end of the year, your monthly expenses are probably seven or 8,000 because you're acquiring debt to stay alive. Absolutely. It just changes the game. And so, so be very careful, educate yourself, get a great bank on your team, get a great team who understands mergers and acquisitions and all this other fancy, cool stuff. Uh, I'm, my eyes gloss over at a lot of the things that you're talking about, not because I don't think I'm smart, but just because it's just not my ball game. I don't like, I I don't like playing it. And, and so I'm so happy to have people out there that, that do like this stuff and are great at it. And so thank you for coming on today and talking about this. Thank you for the last podcast. And I'm sure we're going to do many, many more uh, on all this good stuff. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for your time. And to your point, you should be able to ask any question. There's, you know, if your banker or finance person is spitting out acronyms you don't understand, it's similar in the GovCon space, right? Just ask. Yeah. Um, that's what we're here here for. We should be able to educate and 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 support in whatever way possible to to make your you know, transaction as smooth as, as possible and for you to understand the, the options that are in the marketplace. So thank you, Michael, for all you're doing. Um, again, thank you for your service and just really excited to be a part of this and to continue to support and empower small businesses in this space. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Before we take off today, I want to ask everyone a simple question. Are you feeling stuck in your government business? Do you feel like you should be winning a lot more contracts, but just can't figure out how to bust through to the next level? Do you want to accelerate your results and hit your goals faster? Does that describe you at all? If so, I have a very special offer for all of our listeners today. Visit us at rsmfederal.com slash breakthrough coaching, where you can schedule your very own business breakthrough session with me. You're going to walk away from the session with three things, a copy of the award-winning government sales manual, at least three strategies to supercharge your business and some specific answers to your biggest challenges that are out there. Now, normally these sessions run about $495, but for a limited time for our podcast listeners only, you can schedule this session at no cost to you. So that's zero cost to schedule a session with me. Simply visit rsmfederal.com forward slash 
breakthrough coaching and you'll be able to fill out an application. So scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, fill out an application that'll come directly to me. Then I'll reach out to you. We'll get our, our session scheduled and we'll walk through some of the challenges that you're having, whether it's, you know, how to grow the business, your goal setting, um, specific challenges you're having in government. This doesn't have to be just about specific to growing any business, but you're going to walk away from the session, not only understanding how to approach the government from a better perspective, but you're going to walk away with a lot of confidence on what you need to do, what next steps you need to take to supercharge your government business so you can take the next several months, the next several years to a whole new level. So again, visit us at rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. You can uh, get an overview of what Breakthrough Coaching is all about. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the application that'll come to me, and then I'll schedule your session for you. And last but not least, let me take a moment here. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.